This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. We are back from day two down in Platteville for the Badgers. They were on the field for a little shorter amount of time this time around, but still plenty to talk about, plenty to get to, and we will. Uh, before we get there, though, certainly appreciate everybody that is that has subscribed on YouTube. We're climbing up. We set a goal of a thousand before the season started. We feel good about that. We're uh, over nine hundred, moving on up. And as soon as we get to a thousand, I'm going to stop pushing it. So if you guess the closer we get, the faster we get to two thousand or to a thousand, I'll shut up, and you'll never have to hear about it again. For those that are annoyed of listening to this, but really appreciate everybody that has done that, and uh, certainly. Um, looking forward to continuing to put video up there from practice and we'll have interviews once they get going here in fall camp and obviously our shows as well. So thank you. All right, Jesse, let's get into day two Badgers uh, still in just helmets and spiders. So there's not a ton of contact, but there was a little bit of a, a glimpse, a glimpse of some success in the run game because it was not a big day for the passing game early on. It felt like they were working on a ton of short throws a lot of stuff that was 10 yards or, or less until later in the practice. We got a little bit more down the field, but it felt like the, the offensive line was moving some people and, and getting some holes open. And again, no contact, but it felt a little bit different today, especially uh, in the team periods. I've said before, it can be a challenge to determine what's actually happening on a run play because guys aren't getting dropped to the ground. Um, but I felt the same way, especially with the first team offensive line. That group really opened up some big holes. There are two specific instances I can think of where Ches Malusi got the ball and almost like the sea parted and not that he could walk through it, but he had a lot of room to operate, would have gotten long gains, certainly gains that went for a first down. And I think that's at least an encouraging sign because this first team defense has been throwing a lot of new wrinkles at the offense. But you're right. A lot of what we saw on day two, is not the stuff that's going to lead a show really, or lead a story, but that's, <laughs> that's not the priority of the football program. They're still trying to install things and, and implement exactly what this is going to look like in year one. And most of what we saw until really the last two 11 on 11 series was short throws into the flat stuff over the middle, a lot of stuff that went 10 yards and under. And I can understand that because it's about rhythm. It's about timing, getting routes down with players. And as Phil Longo has said on numerous occasions, get the ball to your athletes in space. And that seems like something we may see a lot of. I mean, I know we still have a lot of practices to go and haven't played a game yet, but I think that may be a way to get into things for this offense. But obviously they've got to be pretty dynamic and it's at least encouraging to see what they did in the run game. It was. And you know, back in the spring, it was about installing the offense. And I wonder if we're getting a little bit of a mini version of it here in, in fall camp as well. We didn't, we don't get to talk to a coach until tomorrow when Luke Fickle will speak after practice. So can't really ask him if that's what, if that's what's happening, why we're seeing some of the, some of the stuff that we are in a lot of these periods. But that said, as you mentioned, towards the end of 11 on 11, we did get some plays offensively. And I know there's probably like people that love defense, like, that sounds amazing. Like the Badgers defense is locking them down. I'm like, okay, but that's not there. They weren't even throwing the ball down the field until later here in 11 on 11. And a couple throws from Tanner Mordecai that stood out. One was this little bit of a, a deep slant to Skyler Bell that he threw it to through two guys through, through uh, Owen Arnett 
and Jake Cheney. Right between them, an absolute bullet of a ball hit Skyler Bell right in stride, and he took off for what would have been a long gain. And then uh, I don't know if it was later or before that, he went down the field to Will Pauling. Surprise, Will Pauling making plays in practice. And it was tight coverage, and Will Pauling was able to make a great play. It was a really good throw. I don't know about the decision to throw the ball, but the the, uh, the throw itself was right where it needed to be. And uh, tight coverage with, with two guys on top of him, and Will Pauling made the, made the play and walked on down and, and made sure everybody knew that he made the play. So it was those two plays for me stood out. Yeah, those were the two big ones from Tanner Mordecai. And I think there were stretches earlier where it may have been a little bit of a frustrating day. And there's one specific play that I can think of. It was a throw over the middle to Hayden Rucci and he overthrew him. And the first time, at least in fall camp, and um, it's hard to remember all 15 practices in the spring, but you really saw this fiery emotion, this frustration that was visible within Tanner Mordecai, obviously because he's got a lot of belief in himself and, and knows that he can do better and then came right back and, and delivered those two big throws. The one to Pauling, give Pauling a lot of credit for his ability to adjust. That was a tough throw down the left sideline. Every practice, it feels like we're talking about Will Pauling coming up with a big play, whether it's like he did on Thursday where he can adjust because he's got good hands with his route running and his speed, which if you ask any wide receiver on the team, if they're being honest, who's the fastest wide receiver it's Will Pauling. He's just got an opportunity to have a, a really outstanding season. And, and there are some other guys who could challenge him. When you look at those numbers that he was putting up like 40 times, he's got some skills. So that was encouraging after what had been kind of a blah day, um, just in terms of if you are looking for highlights, there weren't a lot, but Mordecai provided a couple. He did. And so did Braden Locke on a really nice throw to Chimray DK over the middle. DK had to go up and get it, but it was a really nice ball in in my opinion just because you know Brayton did not have the best day on Wednesday I think we can all uh agree that we talked about it yesterday didn't have the day he wanted to have and um I don't know if it was a bounce back day but was certainly more in rhythm and uh more consistent and more where it put the ball where it needed to be type of stuff than it was on Wednesday yeah and a lot of the throws again they're very easy they're- they are and, <laughs> and, and but that seems to clearly be a, a big part of the long plan here at least early is okay you got a, a running back in the backfield a couple running backs or whatever just swing it out there let them do something or or you've got three wide receivers and a tight end how can you find someone pretty quick and open things up but yeah we mentioned this on, on the show on Wednesday that there were three instances on day one where Braden was out of rhythm he threw, threw behind a couple of guys had uh, an interception but I, I'll say again, what we saw in spring, I think that was pretty clearly what Braden can be and no doubt about who the top two quarterbacks are. And I think it's just a matter of building on it at this point. We're still, we still have an opportunity to see the next eight practices. And I imagine by practice 10, I, I would be concerned if this offense wasn't consistently in rhythm at that point. Whereas right now you're still ironing out a lot of the kinks. To me, it's even at practice 10, because it's a whole new offense, like, yeah, you want to be in rhythm. You want to be hitting on all cylinders. But I, I think it's going to be a little bit slower start than maybe we're all expecting it to be. I'm, I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just saying I think it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to overcome. But it, the, the, the only thing that's holding me back from saying it, it may take a long time is Phil Longo's history. You know, you look at what happened 
at North Carolina. You look what happened at Ole Miss. But more so, you you know what happened at his previous stop at, um, what was it, Texas? Um, Sam Houston. Sam Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Houston State, where you're going from a triple option offense to this offense, and they led the conference in passing. Like those, like those type of things makes you believe that it can happen really, really quickly. But I, again, I think you're, you're changing or at least adjusting pretty significantly what this offense has been for such a long time that just to think it's going to be able to hit the ground running, I feel like is maybe, maybe a little bit too much optimism. That said, we'll see. Uh, you may be right. They may be right in rhythm and everything's going great by practice 10. I just I think it's going to take a few games. And I don't think that should be unexpected. No, I think that's fair. Um, and if, I wouldn't expect them to be exactly where they want to be at practice 10, knowing that they're still probably, what, two, three weeks out from the season opener. But you would expect them to take significant steps forward because that's what we saw in the spring. And it's funny because go back to the discussions we had in the spring, the first handful of practices. I don't know what we were saying about Tanner Mordecai other than kind of waiting, just waiting for some. And then he strung together about five or six consecutive practices. We are like, okay, that's yeah. that dude. That's why they brought him in. And I sort of expect the same thing here in fall camp, but I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And it is so challenging for us to set expectations or discuss what we think is possible for this offense when all we're seeing are practice opportunities against Wisconsin's defense, not knowing how Washington State's going to play it or Ohio State. And the other thing that I should say about the specific practice we just watched for, for fans at home, since nobody, no fans can see it, the way it was constructed was the first team offense and then the second team offense got a series of five plays from a predetermined yardage marker. So we're not actually watching a full on, here's the kickoff, they get the ball at the 25, let's run a full drive. It's scripted like, all right, the ball's at the 26, now it's at the 36 or the 41 or the 49. Um, and it was the same yard marker every time for like four straight series. So, um, you know, that's part of this too, when we're trying to make these evaluations, it's, it's football, but it's not the football that you're going to see during the season. It definitely is not. I'm wondering. So the, the next was it Friday, Saturday, Sunday are all at the same time. Right. And then on Monday it is at night. It's a seven o'clock it's at night and we'll have an opportunity to to see that. And I wonder if that day may be a little bit more scrimmage ish because it's their last day in Platteville. They're going to get a day off the next day and then and obviously go back to Madison. Maybe we'll get a better idea or not even a better idea, but a, a, a more realistic look at move the ball segments that obviously they're not in right now because they're still not in pads. Uh, they'll get in pads here in a little bit, but I, I'm kind of looking forward to that Monday night and seeing exactly how they want to address that. I, you're putting it at night for a reason, right? Like you're not, you're not, <laughs> you're not doing that for, for no reason. So we'll see um, defensively for them. It was, we got to see something that we saw a bunch in the spring and that was the dollar package and uh, the, the, the dollar package and the, and the, the guy essentially playing the dollar position, a lot of it being Hunter Wohler and, uh, and moving all over the place. But I think that is going to continue to be something that we talk about throughout this preseason and into the season is how multiple this team is going to be. And on one day, you're going to see them in their two, four, five. And the next day, you're going to see them in their this dollar package. The next time, you're going to see them in the three, three, five. Like they have the ability to play so many different ways than, um, it, and I shouldn't say that that is any a huge difference. I just think the dollar 
package is a significant um, deal for them this year. And we saw it a bunch on Thursday. The first time we really saw this under Jim Leonard, or, or at least the, the first time I remember it, and I think it might've happened one other game before, but Washington state last season, it was like, Whoa, they have six defensive backs out on the field. Washington state's going to throw the ball everywhere. Uh, the defense for the most part held its own, gave up a couple plays that it would have wanted back, but tackle Nakia Watson, be all right. Tackle Nakia Watson right out in the left flat. Uh, but the offense scored, you know, 14 points, but now that's become the norm. And, and, I, and you're right. The, it's fascinating to watch because of the different ways that they can utilize these players. And we've said probably in the spring and Hunter Wohler certainly appears primed for a, a big time season because he's the one who's going to take advantage of that dollar spot where they put him at linebacker depth. They've got the three corners that we've become accustomed to seeing where you've got Ricardo Hallman and Alexander Smith on the outside with Jason Matry in the slot, but then you can have Kamoi Latu and Travion Blaylock on the back end and still have Wohler in the game and in doing that, you're only putting one outside linebacker on the field, but that can cause some havoc. And I thought it was interesting with the second team defense, they had Preston Zachman in that role for a little bit too. Um, and he came up with a couple of nice plays coming off an interception that he had on Wednesday. We've talked a lot about the top three guys and Austin Brown. I don't want to forget about Preston Zachman. I think he's um, got a real opportunity to be a contributor here, but that, that dollar defense is really interesting to watch and and the thing that we saw in the spring was they can do it with different guys we saw situations where they had the three inside linebackers on the field too um didn't see that on thursday even though we know that all three of those guys are going to be a big part of the defense so it, mike Tressel certainly can mix it up in a variety of ways yeah it comes back to multiple and uh i remember talking to Mumba down to big 10 media days last week about the washington state game and how they did run some of this stuff but they, where he felt they could be so versatile because of what they did at Washington, you know, against Washington state. And that's kind of like what this defense is going to be on a continuous basis, just continuing to morph into what is, is going to uh, give the offense the biggest problems. And it's a defense that has a ton of different bodies that they can do that with. So I think that obviously is uh, the exciting part for the, for the defense this year going into the, into the season is their ability to morph to the situation and mold themselves however they need to be to face whatever offense they're going to face. And Jim Leonard did a really good job of that. I think Mike Trussell is obviously going to continue with that. You mentioned the inside linebackers. That three, that trio, I think, again, they've had so many good ones. But I, what I like most about these guys, and we know how good Chris Orr was getting after the quarterback, and we know how good Leo Chanel was getting after the quarterback. I think all three of these guys have a chance to to be – a problem for teams when it's coming, when you're, when you're blitzing and when they're getting after the quarterback and having, whether it's third and long or, you know, however, however they want to do it. I think all three guys have a different unique skill set in getting after the quarterback. Something like, you know, Jordan Turner's a little bit more power. You have Cheney with a little bit more speed um, and quickness and suddenness. And then Muma's kind of got both of it. And we saw all three of those guys make plays on Thursday Jake and Jordan had would-be sacks. Again, not official because you can't tackle the quarterback. If you did that, you would start a brawl. World War III would ensue. But That'd then Moomin, could that, that could that could allow <laughs> not, practice. It certainly would. Every once in a while, you see something crazy like that, and uh, and things just go off. But Moomin had a couple big plays too. He had a pass breakup, and then there was one where they handed the ball off to the running back, and he was he was right there. He might as well just 
taking the ball from the running back. It seemed like he knew what was going to happen. He was in the backfield. It probably would have been about a three-yard loss. But those three guys are going to really be interchangeable. And Mike Dressel talked about this way back in the spring that he considers a guy like Jake Chaney to be there's one A and there's one B. I know I referenced this on the show on Wednesday in terms of the all 22 that they're trying to find on both offense and defense. But specifically as it relates to Cheney, he considers him to be a starter. They have three inside linebackers. And even if that means there's only going to be two on the field, they are all starter quality. And I think you're going to see more from Cheney. Last season, he played somewhere around like 225 defensive snaps. But it's a good problem to have. And he's going to be a big part of that rotation. And, and Trestle said he felt like, based on Cheney's size coming out of high school that maybe he was under recruited or under regarded a little bit was how Trestle put it earlier in the week, but he loves the burst that Cheney has. He talked about his sort of 10 yard burst because that's all you're really asking a linebacker to do. So he's got a nice skill set, and, and the more opportunities he gets, I think the more he's going to do with it. I would agree. I wanted to jump into this and maybe it's unfair. It's probably unfair, but I felt like two days in, we kind of have an idea, maybe, of where some of these position battles um, stand and like who's in competition for them. So there, there's a few, there's a few spots. We know who Braylon Allen is. We know who Chesma Lucy is. We know that they're probably going to be on the field together. We know that they're one, two, the third spot. And I don't even know how many carries that third spot's going to get. I don't know how much playing time that third spot's going to get, but it feels like to start things out, Jackson Aker, Cade Iacomelli, Grover Bordelotti. Those are the three they're competing for it. We we've seen, all three of them on the field and getting some action. I, I, I think we talked about it the other day. Jackson Aker kind of feels like the guy that is going to end up being the guy, but the other two have um, a little bit of wiggle to them that I don't necessarily think Jackson Aker does have. And I, of the three, I really liked what I saw from Cade Iacomelli on Thursday. We talked about Ches Malusi opening up a, a couple runs because he got some good blocks. The same thing happened with Cade, but there was one run where he put a move on a guy and was able to get a first down. And so he's got the power and the speed. We saw a lot more of that earlier in the spring. And I don't know, late in, in the spring, maybe he got banged up or wore down a little bit. Oh, he definitely, yeah, he definitely wasn't did. as effective. Yeah. But it, it was all still there. It was, it was very evident early in the spring that he could provide a, a little extra pop there. He can catch passes out of the backfield. So yeah, maybe it will be Jackson Aker because of the experience and the versatility. Um, but I think Cade Yakamelli is right there. Um, I don't know. I still feel like those guys would end up ahead of Grover Bortolotti um, because maybe the size, the physicality, some of those other things. But Grover certainly made the most of his opportunities. Um, I just why do you hate walk-ons? Oh, I certainly don't hate walk-ons. What you sound like? You sound like you sound like cover Alabama. You sound like a walk-on hater. No, I definitely not. I just think I like I like what I see at Yacomelli, and um, it remains to be seen. I don't know how many carries again the number three guy is going to get, but they do need to have one in place just in case. Um, and maybe they will get a handful of opportunities because they can provide something different. It's, and it is just in case, but it's also based on history a little bit too. Yes, um, with the two guys in front of them. And again, Wisconsin fans. Knock, you know, knock on wood that you don't even have to worry about it, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, another spot that is is open. We know what they have in the top three corners, right? Uh, we, especially on the on the outside and Jason Matry in the slot. The spots behind them, both on the outside and in the slot, I think are still wide, wide open. We saw a little bit of Michael Mack and uh, Nizier Forkering 
getting some time with the second team defense today, along with Jonas DeClona and Jace Arnold getting reps there as well. I know we may have talked about it on Wednesday. If maybe the veterans end up taking it, but true freshmen have come in at Wisconsin at times and made an impact. I mean, go all the way back to what Sojourner Shelton and, you know, starting from almost day one, you know, Derek Tindall played a, a bunch as a young player. So it's happened, but usually you're going to go with veterans and that's what, and Michael Mack and, and Forkering are both guys that have played a lot of college football. Well, you didn't bring guys in from the transfer portal to have them not play. On the other hand, you've got to go earn it. And for as great of a division two career as Nizer Forkering had, you're going to have to go prove it here. And the same with Michael Mack. I, I really, I think Jonas Duclona and Jace Arnold have really held their own and done a very good job. I don't look at it as a situation where they're ceding any ground to these two other guys. And they also had the benefit of being true freshman early enrollees. They had 15 spring practices in this system, learning it that those other two guys didn't. And I think that maybe shows up here a little bit early in fall camp. It may change as those other two guys get more opportunities, but I'm really impressed with those two freshmen. And I don't know that I would be overly surprised if those guys managed to be a part of a rotation in some capacity because of how talented they are and how well they've taken to this defense. I think the uh, yes, the, the biggest question for me is, is if Jason Major goes down, who's playing in the slot? Because right now in the spring, it was Almond Williams. Almond Williams is no longer here. Max Lofi is a guy who has played in the slot, but he's still out. He's still rehabbing, so he's not playing. He's not practicing. We haven't seen him. Haven't seen him barely at all. I don't think you can even count on him at this point. So Owen Arnett, who's a safety, has been playing in a slot, and behind him is Bryce Carey, another safety who's been playing in the slot. And I think that is a. And again, I don't know if that's going to be something that you would actually see on game day if Jason Matry were to go down. I think maybe you're playing a little bit more three safeties, and it's Hunter Wooler playing there in the slot a little bit, and. Uh, Travion Blaylock and Kamoe Latu and guys that, you know, have experience and can do it. But to me, that's a little bit of a concern spot right now is if Jason Matry is not, because he's a perfect slot corner. He's tough. He's fast. He's quick. He doesn't take anybody's crap. Like he'll, he, he's got the exact type of traits that you want for a guy in the slot. Behind him is a little bit of a question for me. I think it's a perfectly legitimate concern. And we really haven't seen a ton of other guys in that spot. No corners. No corners. Oh, um, you know, in the spring, we saw just to get Braden Moore on the field, they put him there in that spot. But that's a true freshman who was an early enrollee at that time. And I don't know what they would do without Matry. I, I mean, Matry, I expect to be so productive this season. He, you're right, kind of that perfect slot corner. And, and they will have him on the field as many times as they can. But there is a little bit of versatility with those safeties and maybe that would be the play. I, I, I do think that's a, that's a real concern here. Um, and I don't know how they're going to address it. And, and it's not that Owen Arnett can't do it. It's just, he's a little bit of a different body type than, than you would normally see in the slot against some of those quicker receivers that you'd be asking him to cover. Um, we saw him today came on a, on a blitz and, you know, had a nice play in the backfield, but those are, those are types of things that safeties can do um, covering fast little slot receivers that um, that Wisconsin has that we've seen can be a bit of a, uh, a lot to ask. I think 
of um, of somebody like that. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, the other spot, punter, of course. Got to see some more punting. Did you uh, did you put that in your practice report today? Of course, Zach. Had to cover it all, or what little sort of happened to practice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was tracking it. I, I mean, what they did was they had the, the three punters, they had Atticus Bertrams, Jack Van Dyke, Gavin Myers. They they rotated. They each took a series of four punts, and because it wasn't uh, the most exciting practice, I mean, I was I was tracking the yardage and just seeing how they were operating. And obviously, Atticus is left footed, so he has the rollout to the left. And what they do with Jack Van Dyke is they they have him punt straight on, and they also have him roll out to the right. I think it's a toss up at this point. Just, I mean, based on the first couple of practices, like, I don't know that you could definitively say that the guy that they brought in is markedly better. And that may prove to be the case. It's going to come down to, as it always does for a punter, hang time, distance, consistency. Van Dyke had the longest punt. He had a 51 yard punt. Um, you know, Bertram's were anywhere from 40 to 48 yards, but it's still that consistency because Van Dyke's last punt, it sailed out of bounds down the right sideline before Skylar Bell could return it. Like it, it went early and there's no officials. Yeah. I can't tell you what the yardage was, but I think that's, that's part of the problem. Like the leg strength with Van Dyke is there. He can boom a 50 yard punt, but you need to be able to consistently rely on that. And that obviously has opened the door for Luke Fickle and the staff to go pursue a transfer in Atticus Bertrams, who maybe will ultimately end up winning. But right now, I mean, it seems pretty even to me. What is it? You don't, you don't, give a scholarship to a guy who's not going to play, especially on special teams, unless his name I is mean, Vito Cal- unless his name is Vito Calvaruso. And the plan was for him to play, but he just couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, that was the problem. That was the problem. <laughs> he, that, that he couldn't stay healthy. That was the problem. It had nothing to do with his inability to I don't, the field goal straight. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Get him out here for the 70-yarder. The greatest thing about that is that that, that game that that happened in pregame warm-ups – I was shooting video of him and he was hitting from like 55 with ease, with ease. And then he goes into the game and got more turf. I think the turf pellets went further than the ball and certainly probably went straighter. So uh, not taking shots at Vito. I know it's your guy still drunk on that leg strength, but oof, that was a miss on, that was a miss on our part. And hey, you win some, lose some, you know, people have probably heard this one, but sometimes you're the bug and sometimes you're the windshield. With that, prediction you were the I got squashed like a bug okay you're the bug all right well hey i have plenty of those from last year as well we're not going to bring them up because i'm leading this thing so we're not bringing it up but i know what you're saying i got you i got you the other spot one of the other spots i should say that is interesting to me and it's based because it's on injuries right now we're not exactly sure is left guard because if jake renfro is healthy is that automatically in your mind, Tanner Bordellini's spot? Or is it possible that it's Joe Huber's spot or Trey Wedding's spot? And then maybe Bordellini's on the right side and he's battling Michael Furtney. I know I've been on this this thing for, <laughs> for quite some time about Michael Furtney, um, but he wasn't able to hold on his starting job at the end of last year. He lost it and now he's got it now. And it's a new staff, and I get that and I get that. But it feels I personally think that maybe there there should be some competition there as well. I'm of the mindset that if Renfro's healthy, that Bordellini is the left guard and Furtney is the right guard, even though Joe Huber's got a lot of versatility, if nothing else, 
then Huber is your first guard into that rotation. And you've also got Trey Wedig. It's been interesting with Renfro hurt um, or not at full strength because he, he is snapping with the twos, what they've done, that they've had Huber in at left guard, but Trey Wedig has gotten some reps there. Then they also had Huber snapping at center and with the second team group. So they're still trying to work through the rotations, but I just, I haven't seen anybody come in at any point and play right guard with the first team unit other than mm -hmm. Ferdinand. And I just feel like if someone was challenging for that spot, they would give him a single rep there. That's not saying it won't happen because you're right. Fertney has kind of been off and on in the lineup over the last couple of years. But um, to me, he's been pretty solid. And that's what I think the top five would be if Renfro is healthy. Again, I don't know how much uh, tape they watched on him or anything like that. But for him to go to the portal and for them to you know get him back, they had to have liked something on film for him. And I'm not saying he wasn't, I'm not saying he was bad. I'm just saying he was in and out last year. It wasn't something that he was locked in. And so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. You know how big of a fan I am of Tanner Bordellini. I think he could play any spot on the line. Um, and, and he has, and he, has. Um, he almost has, he almost has uh, the bigger surprise for me is that, that Joe Brunner hasn't been able to, to push for that left guard spot um, mainly just because of the one play that he got in, uh, in the bowl game. And he, smashes guy on the touchdown. But that I get that in my mind. I think I think we all do. We all get like certain plays in our minds and we're like that's that player. That's the guy. He that's who he's going to be every time and obviously uh that's not there yet. But you think about the backup left guard and backup left tackle, the talent that they came in to school with and I think next year certainly with Rucci, with Nolan Rucci at left tackle when Jack Nelson presumably goes to the NFL and Joe Brunner presumably moves into a, a left guard spot or wherever he ends up um, like that left side of the line, at least on paper, but. Well, even JP Benchwall, who's the backup right guard right now was your four-star prospect, number one player in the state. There's just so much talent there, but I think on the offensive line, especially it takes quite a bit of time to develop and get to a point where you can push to be a number one guy and we know how good the talent is already with that top group. So it's it's just hard to break through. The good news in a year like this is that Jack McNeil Jr. seems fairly committed to having to use seven or eight guys because of how fast they're going to play. And I think if it, if there's an eighth, then maybe Brunner somehow gets in there. I mean, I don't know how that would work if you've got Huber as your, your third guard or whoever it may be, whether it's Fertney, are you going to play four guards? But to me, he'd be number eight. But if you need a tackle, maybe it's Rucci. I mean, there there's a lot of, quality there in the top two lines yeah anything else has stood out to you at practice today i don't want to i don't want to leave anybody missing out on anything that, that i did not uh, bring up yet i mean i i think we pretty much covered it I it was warm it, it was be, warm yeah dudes were cramping up and getting uh didn't look like it was serious injuries but it was hot out there guys were going down every handful of plays and it's just that time of year up here yeah left and right i mean i Kamoi Latu, Jimmy DK, uh, Austin Brown, like it was an epidemic. And I'm not I'm not using that word correctly, but it was it was a lot. It was a lot. It was bad. It was bad. Um but they're okay. I mean, like DK they're fine. Can't... They're fine. No, it's yeah. like they're they don't yeah, want to scare be, you. No, they, yeah, they're not they're not injured, injured. They're they got they got cramps, and anybody who's woken up in the middle of the night with a cramp understands how painful it can be in the moment, but it goes away. So Either way, Wisconsin back on the field Friday morning for practice number three down in Platteville. Um, we'll be down there. I'll be back tomorrow 
going to do a little uh, Q&A episode. I'll ask for questions on Twitter. We'll do it. And Jess will be back with me on Saturday, and we'll recap uh, what we see on Saturday as well. Um, a little bit of an addition to the Big Ten story we were talking about yesterday, uh, the news today, and I know you don't care about it. I know you don't want to talk about it, but I'm going to bring it up anyways, is that the presidents uh, have directed, the, pre- the university presidents of the Big Ten have directed Tony Petiti, the new commissioner, to look into expansion specifically Washington and Oregon and bringing them to the big 10 gathering more information. I assume just to be ready for when the pack nine currently falls apart, when the uh, Arizona state and Arizona and uh, Utah end up in the pack 12, pick up the pieces. I heard someone said today that the big 10 doesn't want to be destructive. What did you, (laughs) what what did you do with UCLA and USC? Like that, that was as destructive as you can possibly get taking the flagship universities out of that conference that's been around since 1915 and bringing them to the Big Ten, that's as destructive as it gets. And I know a lot of people are like, well, they had to do something because Oklahoma and Texas went, went to the SEC. And I don't disagree, but if you don't want to be destructive, you wouldn't have done that. Um, and I guess, again, that former commissioner is the one that obviously pushed that, but they're not going to get – they're not going to let any anybody uh, over, over the top of them. Like they're not going to let Oregon and Washington end up – in the sec or somewhere else, you know, they're, they're going to want them. They're going to have them in the conference if it's going to happen. And potentially we would get a UW versus UW game to decide who gets to be the real UW, which that's, that might be the most exciting thing of all. I, I can understand the big Ten's perspective here is that uh, you, you want to be that super conference. You want to make as much money as you possibly can tap into these new markets. The Seattle area, Oregon is a storied college football program. My question would be for the listeners out there, which presumably you're a Badgers fan. Do you care? I mean, do you care if Oregon and Washington come into the Big Ten? Because I'm not sure how much I care. I just, watching well, you, Oregon would be fun, but like, I don't know. Maybe I'm I just having time adjusting to this. I think it'd be great. And I also think that if you bring them into the conference, you're going you're gonna to end up with a certain large number and it's going to be, but we talked about it yesterday. You're just, you're going to be having to knock it down. You're not going to have a 24 team conference and just the top two teams, you know, with the best records end up in the conference championship game. You're not going to have 18 teams and, and not have, and just go straight. Whoever has the two best records go to the championship game. You're going to have to break it back down, which for Wisconsin fans should give them a better chance of getting the big 10 title game. Maybe you are going to need divisions. I don't know who would be in those divisions, which would be, be funny to bring back divisions after eliminating them but i saw uh, i saw someone like trying to wrap my head i saw someone trying to break it down like if they went to 24 and like somehow wisconsin would be in a division with minnesota iowa northwestern illinois and i'm like yeah i'm sure wisconsin would love that i know they would love that i don't think it's gonna happen because then you'd have like on the west coast you'd have ucla and usc and oregon and washington and be like in in nebraska and then east like it'd be penn state and michigan state and Ohio state and Michigan, like that's no, they've done, they've, they've dealt with this West and East division for a year. They're not going to do it again. So whatever. Um, We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening. We appreciate it. Go subscribe to the YouTube. Jesse, we'll talk to you tomorrow or we'll talk to you Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. There he is. Jesse temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp.